Welcome once again to the Syndicators podcast. I'm Rich, and I'm joined by Lewis and Lana again today. We'll be discussing Disney cult classics, and we're also going to do a little bit of a review of something we've recently watched. We're also going to get some input from a guest on the show. Uh, that'll be our first one that we've had as well. First off, some news. Right. Yeah, news is pretty thin to be honest. Bearing in mind, like nothing's really coming out at the moment. But um, I don't know if anyone saw, but Ennio Morricone passed away he did the sound uh he did like the score for cinema paradiso hateful eight and the clint eastwood yeah, man with no that. name trilogy so that's he's quite a big composer in the in the business and uh the uncharted films finally filming which yeah, they've they're converting from a video game hopefully it'll be decent but not many uh video game films are I think we're on a trend and, of them getting better, so that's good. Yeah, and the uh, most interesting bit, and you, I don't know if you're like this, Lewis, or not, if it's your kind of thing, but Dirty Dancing, they're doing a new project on that with the original actress, Jennifer Grey. So I've never seen it. We, we'll see, have you not? No. What? Really? What do you mean oh, for? What? I, I thought why, everyone why? had seen that. No, no. It's, uh, it's all right. It is all right. I have to I, say I've that. Seen, though, did they do a remake? They, they did, did a part like, two. Yeah, but I don't. I couldn't tell you using that one. Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll recommend it. It's a bit of a classic. So. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> right. Anyway. So this week's subject: Disney cult classics. Like this was a, another one which was pretty difficult because I think there's a lot of underrated ones out there that would come under this category. There is. Yeah. yeah. It's um, like whenever someone asks you to do like a list of your favorite Disney films. Like, say, you've got to do five. It's so hard to pick. Mm. There's the obvious classics, like your Lion Kings, mm. you know, your, your Jungle Book. Mm. Um, I mean, in, in recent years, like, you got Frozen. Mm. But yeah. um, there's a lot of underrated ones that, that go under the radar. And to be honest, some of them are more of my favourites, especially the 90s ones, but that's probably because I'm a 90s kid, so... Yeah. I don't know about you guys. I think, yeah, for, for our generation anyway, the 90s ones are the most memorable ones because I think they're the ones we just encountered um, organically, whereas everything else we had to actively seek out. So it's a slightly different relationship with all the other films for us. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, I think in the industry as well, those 90s ones were sort of part of a revival with Disney because they, they had their big ones ones early on and then yeah. they brought out a lot where they didn't they weren't well received at all yeah and then i think the first one that kicked off the revival was little mermaid i think you're right yeah and then you obviously got like beauty and the beast aladdin which are like top-notch ones that's right pretty much all the way through the uh yeah all the way through the 90s so and then they had another dip really in the noughties so I guess that happens with any sort of... Um, I think they were kind of exploring new grounds, weren't they, in that little dip? Yeah. Like CGI 
Um, I remember them uh, near Atlantis as well. Like, you know, that's not your typical Disney fair. No, see, I like that one. Like, I think that's a. I like it too. I think gets it's a, a lot gets event. a lot of stick that one, but I um I really enjoy it. But you can um, see that they were just exploring with new kind of. Well, yeah, just, you, you kind of got it though, because if you keep churning out the same thing, yeah, then it's going to get boring. So it's a risk sometimes, but I think it's a risk that needs to be taken. Yeah. Right. Um, who wants to take this one first? Don't see any volunteers. You pick, Rich. You pick. Oh, uh, Lewis, you go first this time, then, mate. Am I going first this time? Yeah, way? go on. Okay. Tell you what, then. Let's play a guessing game. Oh, like here we go. <laughs> so, so we've all seen like a lot of Disney films, right? Uh, Rich, you got to be quiet for a bit because I have a feeling you know what it is already. So, if I said right. to you, not your typical Disney, not there's no princesses, so it's not a princess Disney film. It's different art work or at different animation, should I say? Sorry. That's usually in Disney Fair. There's, there is singing in it. It's a very good soundtrack. It was in the news this year that they are remaking it. So it is going to be live action at one point. Oh. Uh, what else did I say? That doesn't narrow it down because they're talking so, about most of them being live yeah, action. But you know what it is, Rich. Do <laughs> you want to say what it is? Well, I had an idea what it is, but the film that I was going to say, you've already mentioned. Oh, really? Did you think yeah. it was going to be a Lavis? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> well, no, I'll tell you that. So yeah. I, I basically picked Hercules. Oh. oh. Yeah. I love Hercules. Hercules yeah. is such a good film. Yeah. And I think I it think... doesn't get the credit that, you know, it should deserve. No, no, I think... Fair play to you. I think that's a good choice. Yeah, I think Atlantis is good, don't get me wrong. But Hercules has got a bit more kind of... I was thinking about it while I was watching this last week. It's really weird that in this type, day and age, like that they had a film just about Greek myths, but there's a lot of adult jokes in it. Like mm-hmm. It's not really a kid's film. Yes, it's colourful, it's got music... But it, I don't know. I was just watching it going like, I would watch a live action version of this. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, have we both seen it? I've uh, seen it. Okay. I've seen it just probably seen. about a hundred times. Good. So, I think yeah. the music, I've not really, has there been another Disney film where there's been soul music? I think that's what the phrase is called, soul. Might not be soul music. Other than soul that's coming out this year, no. Yeah. I, I'd, uh, I can't it's think like of anything off the top of my head. the actual term for it. It's like, um, oh, you know when you go to like American churches? Gospel. Gospel, that's it, thanks, yeah. Um, mm. Gospel music. I like that they got all the gospel music. I like that the animation's a bit different. I think the story's good. I think they've got an amazing villain in Hades and just his droll kind of humour um, played brilliantly by James Woods uh, yeah. and as I'm a fan of like Greek myths anyway so it's re- it, as a kid it was really good to see like um, you know what Disney thought Cerberus would look like and what they would look what Zeus would look like and what Hades would look like I like that they've all got their own kind of characteristics you can tell who's who 
um, and what they look do within this world. I think it's a lot of fun. You've got Pain and Panic, which are there for like you know comedy. I think they play well with Hades. Uh, I think the live action is going to do really well because the source material is so good. Uh, and yeah, I just think it's cult classic. I think people just need to kind of re-watch it and go, actually, this is really good. Uh, I think it caters for both uh, male and female as well, which is rare. Sometimes they can be like a bit too girly or a bit too manly. I'm thinking like, you know, Wreck-It Ralph, where it's an action video game. And then you got Frozen, which is a Disney princess film. Mm. Um, I think, yeah, I think it's got a lot of elements where, like, it just deserves more attention. I think it has done. But I don't... I, it didn't open with great reviews. I think it opened with, like, three stars here, maybe a scattering of four, like, out of five. Uh, it's very dark in places, but it doesn't go... Just because, Rich, I know what your choice is. It doesn't go kind of over the board of darkness, if you know what I mean. Yeah, no, I think that's fair. Yeah, I think uh, I, I kind of recall back to the ending of it where, you know, he dives in to save her and you've got corpses. and Yeah, that's pretty that, grim, that bit. Yeah, it's, it is grim. Uh, but they kind of, you know, he comes back and... like I think, I'm sure he just punches Haiti in the face or something. He doesn't yeah, actually... Oh, no, he pushes it's... him into the river, yeah. But he, he does punch you in the face because his, his yeah, face so is like just a mess when he does it, it doesn't yeah. it? Like his and eyes and his mouth back. all like shrink in. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just so funny because you know you they know that they know when to kind of go. No, we need to revert back to colourful, and it ends on a high note with like a little uh, gospel music again. Mm. I just think it's wicked. Your thoughts, Lana? Um, yeah, I've seen it as well, um, mm. and I've seen it. Definitely several times. Um, I completely agree with you on the music. Um, Excellent, excellent choice. Because I think sometimes I would just put it on just for the music. To hear my favorite songs again. So it was, yeah, it is just brilliant. Um, It is good, yeah. I I always kind of joke that um, there's a song in it. You know how, like, Frozen's got Let It Go, Moana's got How Far Girl, I think? Mm. Um, you know, Hercules has got go the distance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just really weird how like no one, you know, that if you release that film, would it now be in the number one spot somewhere of Disney soundtracks? Not sure. It's kind of very um um drama performance. Not drama performance, God, I keep getting my words in a mucking fuddle. That's um, not like you that's not like you, is it? I know, yeah. I, it's cause <laughs> I'm trying to think what it's called. It's like a Broadway hit. Do you know what I mean? It's, it's theatrical. Yeah, it's very theatrical. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you could see it kind of on, you know, if you were to be watching it live, you can kind of see it happening like that. Yeah. No, uh, I totally agree. Mm. Mm. And it same with the music. Like, during the live action, I keep thinking to myself, they've got so many choices to put, like, all these really well-known um, female artists as the muses. And they've got a soundtrack hit. Mm. I think um, if I can butt in as well. Yeah, correct. Um, yeah, I think I agree with a lot of your points there, especially about the music. Um, yeah. There's some great tracks on there. I don't, there's probably not a bad song on that soundtrack. And um, in reference to to go the distance, that's like, I mean, how can you not be inspired by that? Obviously, with the lyrics and the, yeah. yeah, how it's delivered. Yeah. It's, 
brilliant. And um, yeah, I think uh, you're right. There's like yeah. some pretty dark bits, but they've got the balance of like comedy with like Felicities, obviously played by um, Danny DeVito. Yeah, yeah. And like you said, Pain and Panic. Um, they're they're a good little bit of like relief. And to be honest, even even though Hades is a dark villain, even he's quite funny at times. Oh yeah, I I you know. Danny DeVito and Phil, um, I would love to see him do live action. I would love that. Yeah, but Hades. Could... I don't know. There's just, I just find Hades so funny. <laughs> yeah, I don't I know. Mean... What, maybe it's because I find him relatable. I'm not sure. <laughs> it's wow. just some. That's worrying. <laughs> no, but you know what I mean. Like, nah, it's, yeah. it's the dry sense of humour, um, where like kids wouldn't be laughing. Like, yeah, they'd be laughing at the slapstick, but you've got the adults like going, "Ha, ah, I get that joke." Do you know what I mean? Yeah, and on my last on my last viewing of it, which was actually only a couple of weeks ago, to be honest. Yeah. Um, I did notice so many jokes. I thought I I can't remember that joke. Like it's yeah. they're they're really yeah, like you said, they're adult like kids that go over their heads. It's not because they're like rude jokes. It's just that they're quite intellectual for you know like a little kid watching a Disney film. Yeah. Yeah. But, exactly. um, yeah. I think James they are, Wood. I they think. Don't dumb down the their kids audiences mm. nah but um yeah james wood i think definitely brings a lot to it for me like with his that works really well mm-hmm. like how he's created that character oh and, yeah um, made it his own yeah it's um i think it's definitely underrated like from what i've sort of read about it over the years yeah people know it's there but um, and they're doing a live action version of it, but I still don't think it gets the credit. Yeah. Where um where it's due. So yeah, it's not. Yeah. You, you don't find it on pe- many people's lists. Nah. Yeah. Well, it's a bit like your Shrek too from like the last episode. You know, yeah. same sort of thing. Yeah. That quality, but they just seem to go under the radar. Mm-hmm. Um, for what reason? Yeah, and I'm I think it's because sure. it it is released during that time when you were think you know you were talking about. It, that, that kind of dip um yeah like post, sort of that post, kind of post lion king i'd say really because that was so good yeah and then you've got your sort of like pocahontas hunchback yeah. uh hercules mulan which like again i think they're all brilliant I think, but was it was it pocahontas that started the dip yeah but again yeah. Like, i think that's i think that's a really underrated one. Oh no i do as well yeah you can just tell that they were just exploring yeah, but yeah i, I think because hercules yeah. is kind of in that mix yeah and i just think where lion king was so well received and it's all like again it's always at the top of people's lists for disney films yeah anything that was released in the few years after that was never gonna like compare really Apart but, from live uh, action, hate the live action so well, that's another yeah. That's we went, yeah, we went, <laughs> we went on to the live action Lion King, but um, yeah, great choice. Um, shall I go next, Lana? Okay. Right. So my choice for this was, I, I, to be honest, I kind of settled on this as soon as we said we were doing this subject. I know, and I and, could have um, I would have picked this one. Yeah, I'm sorry, but <laughs> no, no, you crack on. Nah, yeah. <laughs> Um, I thought I've got to have this one. Um, again, it's uh, I'm, I'm getting a bit of a theme with dark movies lately, um, it seems. And I this time I've gone for The Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, 6.9 on IMDb, so it's not a terrible rating, but I think 
it deserves a little bit higher than that. And 74 on Metacritic, which I thought that's actually not too bad for mm. that era of film. No, that's not bad at all. I mean, I I personally love this film. I think it's so good. I think it's in my like. It's always in my top three. It's probably one of the uh, darkest Disney films. Yeah, it's definitely very dark adaptation for mm. um, Disney. Which, like when you look at some of the other ones, um, it's obviously uh, created from Victor Hugo's novel. Mm. Um, which, again, if you read the book itself, is a lot darker than the animated film so uh you know you can just imagine maybe some of the stuff that might go on in that um so yeah the main story is uh deformed child of a gypsy she um dies outside the cathedral basically he is taken in by uh judge frollo reluctantly and brought up inside the walls of notre dame and he's not shown to any of the public for until his adult years, really. Um, but this adaptation, I think, is great because at the very start, you've uh, got a narrator who is um, Clopin the Jester. Jester. Well, I'm looking my words up now, mate. I oh, don't see. It's a, it's and, a um, thing, isn't it? Yeah, it's catching. Um, yeah. So, yeah, obviously set in Paris. And uh, the intro is so powerful. You've just got a view of, like, Notre Dame with the sky and the clouds and the bowels are playing and... The score for this one's done by Alan Menken, who did quite a few of the other Disney films. Um, he doesn't seem to do a bad one either. And the first sort of big song in this one, it sort of begins with Frollo telling Quasimodo, you know, you've got to stay away from society, you're a monster. Yeah. Um, you know, no one wants to, you, you just don't go out there. And of course, his response to that is um, the song Out There. Because he just wants to be like everyone else, like a you know normal person. Because he's just been rejected like all of his life, mainly because of what I guess Frollo has like kind of drummed into him. But also, maybe people of the time would have felt like that. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's a comedic element from the off. Really, he's got um, the gargoyles come to life, uh, and they're quite. A, I think they're quite a good. Uh, you know, inclusion for Disney making it original. <laughs> were they put in yeah. the um, gargoyles? Yeah, they were added. That's what I'm saying. Like they were added yeah. in by Disney, so it makes it it's sort of like a little, like an original. Uh, yeah, because t- I'm sure I read that. I'm sure I read somewhere that maybe they thought the film was too dark and it needed the um comic. Yeah, oh, I can I can see that. Like if, if you didn't have the sure the gargoyles come into life, which to be honest, are they imaginary friends? I don't know, but. It, let's say they're real because yeah. it's a Disney film. Yeah. So let's say they really do come to life. Yeah, I think that's a really good inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's it it's quite dark throughout the middle, really. Like I mean, if you guys have seen it, there's a scene where he's treated pretty badly by the public, and I've seen mm-hmm. it loads of times, and it genuinely like it makes me a bit upset to be honest, because he's yeah. a really nice he's a really nice guy, and um. You know, he's caring. And then, of course, he's been told not to go outside. And the first time he goes outside, he's sort of like, you know, treated like the monster that Frollo says he is. And like, he gets like food thrown him and everything. Mm. Um, so it's quite upsetting, that part. But then he's shown like kindness with uh, Esmeralda. And, um, you know, she's just a gypsy woman who's, again, looked down on by, you know, the higher in society. Mm. And she sort of takes him under her wing and 
they kind of help each other really so i think that's quite a good message like in the film you know with these acts of kindness even though there is some obviously some bad in the world Mm. but it's relatable for like people who feel a bit different you know i think it's a good it's a good message for that if you don't feel like you sort of belong you can kind of relate to um people like esmeralda and quasimodo being the um protagonist in the movie yeah Mm. um my main reason for this one being overlooked um like i've already mentioned is the fact that it's pretty dark and um uh, again, when you're a kid, like, you won't see, you won't sort of notice this kind of thing. But Frollo is quite often, whenever he's in a scene with Esmeralda, is quite, um, he's sort of lusting after, and it, it's a bit perverted to be honest. Because like, mm. he's like sniffing her hair at one point, and she's like, "I know exactly what you're thinking." Again, I can't remember that when I was a kid. No, you know, I, just, I, yeah, it goes over your head. And then um, there's a great song in it um, called "How Fire" that he sings. Mm-hmm. oh that one Gosh, and, yeah. um, that's quite sort of provocative and she's like he's imagining her and she's dancing in the flames and I actually read that they nearly cut that out of the film because it said she looks like she, she was she was naked basically yeah I and that actually, so I? they had to make it look like you know they had to make a big point of her having clothes on otherwise they just couldn't include it in the movie mm-hmm. and I, I, I can't believe that it's actually a U like it's still rated a U you think it'd at least be a PG no it's not is it yeah from the the content yeah it's a you but i don't know if it passed that nowadays yeah i mean i don't want to give too much else away if you haven't seen it sorry if i've spoiled it for you um but yeah it's it's really it is well made for disney in the 90s um it's another one they're going to do a live action version of yeah Um, i'm looking forward to that one live action as well Yeah, I think like if they get it right and yeah. with the, with the inclusion of the music, then I think it could be a really good one. But again, it's such a dark sort of tale for Disney to show. I don't know what it's going to do, sort of you know, box office wise. Maybe it'd be when they put on Disney Plus. I don't know. No, see, I think it would um, do quite well because I think I, I like to hope so. But it's just, yeah. I just feel like a lot of people I know would they go to the cinema to watch, you know, this film. I think they Cause would. Because Disney is, um, you know, it's, it's more of a fairy tale sort of thing. I know they've like kind of gone outside the box a little bit with more recent films. I think it depends. If uh, Mulan does well, then there might be an audience. Because Mulan, you know, they've stripped away the music and, you know, yeah. the fantasy elements of that. Yeah, see, that, that oh, I like, that's another one though. Like, I like Mulan because of the music. So the fact uh, that that's not going to be in the remake, like the live action remake. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm a little bit sceptical. I'll still oh, obviously okay. go and see it, mm. um, like I do most things. But um, I think the music's um, like spot on in most. Well, most of these Disney films. Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, I picked that one because I just think it's it's another one like Hercules, and it's that similar era where it just kind of goes under the radar. But they're still it's still got like quite a decent following. Obviously, you like it a lot, Lewis. I do. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure what are your thoughts on Ilana. Yeah, I, I really like it. It's definitely uh, one of my favorites. I think it's uh, one that is Disney decided to be a bit braver with it in terms of what they showed. Um, I think it's interesting that they took a story where uh, the premise kind of hinges on a 
somewhat medieval notion that is quite prevalent actually to this day, at least in literature, not in what people actually think, that um, the notion that if you are ugly on the outside, that must mean that you are ugly on the inside. Because if you think, if you, in the medieval way of thinking, you would believe in uh, God um, in a different way to the way we believe in God now, if we believe in him at all, uh, then they would think, well, if that's what he made you look like, then there must be something wrong with you internally as well. So that is also why there's so much hatred towards uh, Quasimodo um, and why you have very beautiful characters often depicted as not only beautiful but pure inside. Um, And the fact that it takes this theme and... um, and that Disney decided to not be afraid to deal with it and to show that that might not always be the case and you have all sorts um, is quite brave and quite good for any audience, I think. Yeah, no, I agree with that. I mean, like you said, it's different because uh, Cosimodo is deformed, but he's he's the kindest bloke going. And then you've got Esmeralda, who, like I said, is a gypsy, who would have been frowned upon a lot, but she's well she's obviously pretty and she's a kind-hearted person which would go against um what you know what the general public would have believed at the time yeah um yeah and Frollo I mean obviously he's the higher up in society but he's the most evil I mean he's such an evil character and I think they've got the voice right on that it's a guy called he's probably not very well known um Tony J but Mm. they um, they chose him because he had a small part in Beauty and the Beast of the um, he did the voice of the guy who takes Maurice to like them he's going to take him to the mental asylum right, yeah. and he only did a small part but they loved it so much they said look we want you to do the part of Frollo and yeah. I thought it was spot on because it's such a sinister unique sound that he's got there and he really like did well on that and yeah, Frollo, he's just gotten, there's not one likable thing about him. He's like such an evil villain. Again, he's probably an underrated villain when you look at Disney villains, I think. He oh, could, he definitely um, is. You know, he's, he's just so, yeah, he's just horrible. Horrible. Mm. Uh, yeah, so Lewis, um, you love this film as well, don't you? So, I think this film is so underrated. This I think, I hate you that you got there before me. Um, <laughs> no, I, I, I just think this film's really good. I think the animation is done beautifully. I think the music is good. Um, although I don't like the song that you chose, like you mentioned though. Um, so much so that I've actually forgotten what the title. What? Out there. Yeah, for some reason I just, I think maybe that's just because I'm, I like Hellfire too much. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the, all of them to be honest, mate. But yeah, each to their own. Um, yeah, I, I don't know why. It just, but it's still a good song selection but i really like i've got two really great scenes that i just love in this film the opening where frollo is chasing her down on a horse yeah it's which like, is terrifying if you're a kid yeah but the music behind it's like da, 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 da. i think it's just so good um you know and you've got the signs you've got the vision of the notre dame behind them and like the guy almost throws ah, do I spoil it? Everyone's seen it, yeah. The guy um almost throws him down a well. Like, yeah. it's like, wow. 
this this yeah. film meant your Disney affair. Um, <laughs> where's the singing dragon? Um, <laughs> but I, I just love that it opens like that, and you're like, right, this is what I'm in for. Um, and then there's another scene as well where Frollo, it just goes to show what a sinister person he is, where I'm sure it's like a family and a kid, and he locks them into a barn and then makes the barn on fire. Yeah, and then Phoebus like, like, wow. goes in and saves yeah. them. I was like, um, wow. Like, yeah. It's just little things like that where you don't expect it, but that's why I'm looking forward to the live-action film, because they'll, they'll, they'll make the live-action film probably a 12A, and they might even make it a bit more sinister. Do you know what I mean? I think yeah, it has book, potential. It has yeah. real potential, but like so many before, it has exactly, potential, yeah. and they like they fluff it up. So yeah, I, I kind of don't want to get my hopes up. Source here, so they've got the source. They shouldn't be able to fluff it up. They had the source with Lion King, you know. Yeah, yeah. Uh, see, well, that's where I think they went wrong. I think Lion King is the only one where they did fluff up a little bit. Because they stuck to it's because so many people like the Lion King so much that they decided not to change anything. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, no, that's fair. I think it was, was it was like a carbon yeah. copy, like basically, um, yeah. They they didn't want to upset anyone, so they just made a carbon copy, which actually ended up going, Why am I just paid the same, you know, to watch a film that's basically the same? But yeah. with Hercules with Hercules and Hunchback and Dr. Diamond and films like that they've got so much source material and because they know that it's not, you know, as popular, they'll be able to add and change things. Yeah. I think that's a fair comment. Like, yeah. spot on there. Yeah. I, um, I just think Hunchback and Notch Jump is just a brilliant film. I just love it all. Yeah. I think like back to Lion King, the main criticism was that it was like watching the same film. It was, it was converted into um, live action. I think uh, we need to do like a podcast big maybe like disappointed films. Oh yeah, too right. Then, there's plenty. There's plenty of them, mate. Especially yeah, as you know, I'm like getting my hopes up for things. Yeah, I so, think. Um, yeah, yeah. Right, moving on. Um, Lana, do you want to hear us with yours? Okay. Um, so my Disney film that I picked is The Fox and the Hound, mm-hmm. and um, it's a 1981 American musical buddy drama. Oh, wow. <laughs> Technically, <laughs> I've never heard of the term musical uh, buddy drama. <laughs> I mean, I, this might be a silly comment. I'm sure you'll mention it in your um, speaking about it. But is there music in it? Yes, I'm, yes, there is. Yeah? Oh wow! Yeah. I just I've not seen it for a while, so I'm trying to think of yeah. the music. Um, it's yeah. not like a music call as such, is it? But there's like there's some music songs in there's it, you songs. know? Yeah, definitely some songs. Uh, there's one song which, um, to, to me, uh, it left the most uh, the most memorable kind of impression because it's a song called um, "Education or Elimination." Oh yeah! <laughs> so, See, that just went over my head. Oh, is what? <laughs> <laughs> so either get educated or be eliminated is the point. <laughs> <laughs> Which um, I suppose, if because it's being sung to a fox, uh, yeah. makes sense. Because unless yeah, you're yeah. clever, you're probably going to get shot. Yeah. <laughs> Which is what I was referring to. Um, yeah, <laughs> that that definitely left an impression. <laughs> right. So, well, as it's called, the fox and the hound. It is um, about a friendship between the fox and the hound, and. 
in that sense, it's about, yet again, just similarly to my last week's review, it's about a friendship that was never meant to be. Um, and it's a and the film is a struggle to preserve this friendship despite the pressure of society and uh, their own instinct. What it's actually I found quite interesting is that um, when they animate the hound in the very very beginning, before he's been taught anything, they animate him and they show his instincts to hunt. From the very start, um, so it's like, how will they get on if they've already have the instincts that are going to pull them apart? Uh, now, this film is—we were talking just now about how there's certain like breaks in Disney film um, timeline where yeah. things kind of change. This film is a massive break because. It's the last Disney film where the original animators called the original Nine Old Men were involved. And it is a film about passing the baton onto the next generation of animators that would bring okay. us classics like Beauty and the Beast and actually before that, The Little Mermaid. Um, and so this film uh, has both teams working on it. But it's mainly uh, a very experimental film where the new animators are kind of showing what they've got and their skills. So the original uh, animators, of course, we know them quite well for Snow White or Pinocchio, Dumbo, mm. all the old classics and that sort of thing. And this relationship between the old animators and the new animators is somewhat shown through the relationship uh, between the hound, Copper, and the old dog that the farmer owns, Chief. Okay. Yeah, and they have a certain rivalry, but at the same time, Chief wants um, Copper to do well. So it's rather similar here. It's quite warm. It's touching. And the, they actually put that in. Because it, it is a, a, a moment in history where things just the change fundamentally it's not the old disney anymore now this film is absolutely beautiful in terms of animation uh particularly i think the main ac action scenes at the end uh which are the climax of the film are animated to perfection everything is fluid uh the action is extremely fast-paced you hold your breath the entire time um, and you, and it's done very well. Like you can see that they studied the animals they were animating. Mm. Okay. Um, yeah. Though they are um, anthropomorphized in terms of their personalities, um, in terms of how they move, it's exactly how a dog or a fox would move. It's it's what you'd expect, and it's very very fluid. As we were talking about how sometimes Disney films get quite dark. Um, I think this one also gets um, somewhat dark with how they change the characters' faces. In, for most of the film, they are um, anthropomorphized in, because you need the expressions to find these characters relatable. And the same way that you would have in The Lion King, their faces are what makes it work. Um, Whereas when they hit to the uh, to full on action, 
they start animating them as animals, not as people, in terms of facial expressions. And then that sudden change in tone, I think, makes it one of the most unique um, action scenes in these early Disney films. You can find uh, this the scene on YouTube is because it's so famous for how they do, they've done it, and it's definitely worth the watch. In terms of plot, this film received kind of mixed reviews, and my own opinion on it is rather mixed as well, because on the one hand you have a nuanced take on a very difficult friendship, uh, so it touches on themes like prejudice and bias and society's role in forming our behavior, because of course the hound is taught by its master uh, to hunt the fox. However, at the same time, the hound is also bred to hunt foxes. So it's both uh, nature versus nurture. Yeah. And that, and they kind of, um, they, the way they approach it is uh, quite nuanced because they, they definitely, they don't just say, oh, it's just the hunter. The hound is the hound. You can't, you can't change it. Um, but the answer they give to this problem is nuanced too. Uh, they're saying there's a lot you can't change, and there's a lot you can't change quickly, but that we can reach a certain amount of respect for each other through mutual understanding. Um, the film specifically avoids demonizing any side and pushes for an acceptance and respect of the other, despite their nature. You could say the, the hunter, for most of the, the film, he is... The antagonist. There's very little to like about him because he's very closed minded and driven by one goal. And yet, by the end of the film, uh, the hunter and the lady who adopted the little fox find an understanding between each other. Similarly yeah. with um, the fox and the hound, um, they find a certain amount of understanding, but they can't ever be friends like they were when they were kids. The film quite blatantly states that that's never going to happen. Yeah. Which is, is quite sad. It, it, is, it is really sad. Yeah, you'd think they would actually go for a more cozy answer, like, don't worry, none of it matters, they can be friends. But no, it actually says, you can't, but we can find some understanding and can reach some respect for each yeah. other. This so it's kind, of, it's kind of a happy ending, but it's not like the happiest. No. It could be. But then no, I suppose it's, it's realistic. Yeah, it's realistic. Yeah. yeah, it is quite nuanced. On the other hand, the, because as I mentioned, the film had mixed reviews in terms of plot. Um, you could say that the film didn't go far enough. Um, there, And what I mean by this is more that, for example, originally they wanted uh, Chief to die in the film and chief right. is the, the older dog he's meant to uh die and that would um really change the dynamics between the fox and the hound because then it would be the fox's fault the chief died 
but they, they didn't go that far. They were too afraid. They thought it just would make it too dark. Um, not to mention that this film is based on a book called The, uh, the Fox and the Hound. And that book, you, you, you probably wouldn't, you'd be hard-pressed to find a book that's darker or sadder or more depressing on the subject. It's just, like, the, the book doesn't get better at any point. It just gets worse. Everything wow. just gets worse yeah. for everyone. <laughs> and um, it's very much uh, about the brutality of nature and the brutality of our conflict with it and how just everything is terrible, basically. <laughs> just there, There's no light at the end of the tunnel. Just so well, bearing in mind we're doing it, Disney, it's got it's um it's got pretty heavy fast, hasn't it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but then Disney could have taken um I'm not saying Disney should have done what the book did, but they could have taken more from it, more to flesh out the relationship between Copper and Chief, uh between um Todd and Copper, the fox and the hound, like between nature and man. There's so much more they could have put in. Yeah. And it's a pretty short film, so it wouldn't take much to flesh it out more. Even mm. s- just simply with um, killing off Chief to really kind of give it that emotional power and give each of their actions more uh, resonance and more reason. But no, they don't, they don't go that far. And this is where I, I think... There's something about Disney, which I think, uh, which I've been thinking about for a while, that they have this overall trend to make uh, these complex, more darker stories. Uh, they'll take those that those kind of that kind of material and turn it into something warm, cozy, something with a lot of heart, something that's fun. And they do it beautifully. Mm-hmm. They do. Yeah. But at the same totally. time, you lose some of that um, original essence and more complicated themes and more subtle messages and uh, slightly darker tones about our human existence. Like you, The Little Mermaid is a really good example of that. You know, um, the, the Mer- Little Mermaid's meant to kill herself mm. that's the whole oh, really point of the story. yeah it's yeah and it's, oh, it's absolutely my. tragic i'm glad they I, didn't do that then because we I, have I a lot more darker disney films than we've already got the little mermaid the original story made such an impact yeah, yeah and you have statues of the little mermaid because that's how much of an impact that story has made yeah and, and you lose this impact, this when you turn it into something warm and cozy. I'm not necessarily saying that it has to be dark and dreary or anything like that, but I almost wonder if Disney films are better viewed as their own thing and best not compared to the source material, because then you sometimes end up a little bit disappointed. But what, what do you guys think of it? Um, Rich, okay. I 
Yeah, I, I love this film. Um, I think it's a great choice again. I think it's another one that's underrated. Um, it's although I find it quite heartwarming at times. I also find it really upsetting, and it's it's a film that even now, it's got one of the scenes I find the most upsetting in any film when um, Widow Tweed decides she can't keep Todd anymore, mm. uh, and she like drops him in the forest uh, and kind of just yeah. Not abandons yeah. him, but he feels like that, and um, that bit just tears me up. Like, and I don't cry at films, but that, like, I find really upsetting. Um, again, it's like she's like sort of singing a little song to him, and it's just so. Oh, yeah. I'm a sucker for animals as well. Like anything with animals, like and dogs, and you know, like things like foxes and that. I just, yeah, I'm a bit of a softy with things like that. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's a great choice. I was just going to chip in a couple of facts i uh knew about a film and i only found them out recently mm-hmm. um kurt russell did the voice of copper okay. which like you again you wouldn't expect that but i guess that would have been like fairly like early on in his career and um it was one of the early films that tim burton actually helped with the animation on as well okay um, and again you wouldn't expect that because obviously he does quite um sort of gothic uh films really doesn't he, he does, but um, yeah, I thought I guess everyone's got to start somewhere. But you just wouldn't expect those two names to be linked with a film like The Fox and the Hound. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I love the characters in it, and I love like yeah, I like the relationship that Copper and Todd have. Like it's quite cute, you know, from a young age. And obviously, yeah, it doesn't work out the way we want it. And um, the, there's not he's sort of a villain throughout, but at the end, he's kind of just you realise he's just been like a silly old man, really, and he kind of sort of sees the error of his ways, doesn't he? Yeah. um, Yeah, and like the same with Chief. He's kind of, he's more of a rogue than a villain, I'd say. Um, Mm. But you kind of warm to him by the end of it. Um, I think, yeah, the animation's spot on. Yeah. And, um, like I said, great choice, Lana. And what do you think about um, about the warm, cosy aspects? Well, that's what I think the main aspect is of that film. Because mm. for me, I've not really, I've not sit down and watched it as an adult, if you get me. Yeah. Right. Uh, but I remember it being very cosy and the animation very looking very picturesque. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Very autumn. I know that. I think it's set in autumn. No, it's set through all the seasons. Yeah, it goes through. Yeah, it goes yeah. through the seasons. Yeah. yeah. And but it is one of those films that you can just watch like on a quiet, rainy day. Um, with a hot coffee or cocoa or whatever your hot drink beverage is. Mm. Um, <laughs> definitely underrated. Yeah. It's definitely underrated. Um, but yeah, I've just learned a lot of interesting facts about that film, to be honest. <laughs> okay. As in just listening to that. So that yeah, I think it's a good choice. Mm. Brilliant. Right, we've got our first guest, my girlfriend Chelsea, on. And this week, we're obviously looking at Disney cult classics and... We wanted to see what your choice would be for this. I know what it is, obviously, but explain. So um, I chose um, Oliver and Company as my cult classic Disney film. Oh, yeah. Um, so I think it's pretty underrated, really, as a Disney movie. Um, it was one I watched a lot as a kid, so I think I assumed everyone watched it a lot. You know how when you're a kid, your favourite films, you assume that everyone watches your favourite films all of the time. Mm-hmm. Um and then obviously no one really knew what I was talking about. So yeah, that went down well. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, I just think obviously it's based on 
um, you know, Charles Dickens, Oliver, and but it's got the animal characters instead mm. of humans and the music in it and the kind of real feel good element to it. We used to watch it a lot on like a Sunday morning, um, you know, with a, a biscuit sat in front of the telly. And it was just, even now when I watch it, I still feel really nostalgic. So um, yeah, I guess that's kind of my intro into uh, underrated Disney films. I think it's good. Choice. Yeah. Um, we've picked ones that have got music in. I mean, most of them have got music in really, haven't they? Um, a bit of Hunchback, so I had a dark choice. Um, Nana's done Fox and the Hound, which is another, another dark one, which choice. is a bit heavy. Uh, Lewis went for Hercules. Oh, okay. So not Atlantis. Yeah. Like I, I don't think you'd pick Hercules. So why, why Atlantis? Atlantis should be my next choice. Yeah, if we do a part two... There we go. I'll do classics. You can have Atlantis. So they've all got songs in. Do you have uh, any favourite songs from Oliver and Company? Um, probably Why Should I Worry was yeah. one of my favourite songs. Um, yeah, I always remember we had one of the toys um, where the glasses went up and down. Oh, yeah. And um, the sunglasses. And my dad always used to, like me and my dad always used to sing the song in the car and stuff. And he'd always like muck about with his sunglasses the same as they do in the film. So yeah, it's just um it's just one of those films even now, if ever I was feeling a bit sad, I'd probably think, oh, do you know what? I think I'll watch Oliver and Company because it always just makes me feel really happy. I don't know if that's the music or the sort of overall storyline of it. I don't know I what think, it is um, really. If I can weigh in on it. Go ahead. I um I think it's a very heartwarming one, and that's why I like it because you've got um, a cat who. It's we like the rejects, don't we, with these films? Like I, <laughs> the I underdog. Yeah. Pitch, uh, sorry, Pitch Hunchback and Arm and Quasimodo, and um, Oliver. He's sort of rejected. He's the last one in the box, which again, I, if I watch it now, still makes me feel a little bit um, emotional. And he's taken in by that gang of uh, dogs and they're all yeah they i love that sort of team that they've got you know they're all di- they've all got their, they all bring something different to the table um it's funny again the music's good um it's another adaptation of a novel yeah like you mentioned with oliver mm-hmm. um so i think it's quite cleverly done in that sense um what do you think of it lana have you seen this one Oh, no, I haven't, actually. I think, yeah, I fall into the category of people who hasn't... I haven't heard of it until, um, Rich, you mentioned it, that Chelsea was... Really? Yeah. Yeah. See what I mean, though? So, therefore, it comes under the, you know, under that banner of Disney cult classic, because, I mean, mean, most people I've spoke to have either, like, they've at least heard of it, but, Mm. yeah, I'm surprised, but... um, Yeah, I am. We... do you think we sold it to you, Lana, at all? I think um, I like the fact that it seems to be quite a happy film. I, th- I think it's good to have something that you can put on and really feel happy watching it. Yeah, for the most part. Obviously, any film's got its like... It's got its drama moments. Yeah, <laughs> it's but, um, yeah, I think if you haven't seen it, um, you should check it out. I mean, it's only like, it's not even an hour and a half, so yeah, it's not you've got a spare, spare mm-hmm. minute. Um, Lewis, what do you think about that one? Oh, I think it's a good choice. I mean, anything with Billy Joel in is already a winner. 
Yeah, it's a good. Um, again, back to Billy Joel with the "Why Should I Worry" yeah. song. It's good songs. It's, the animation's great. Um, I think it's my sister's favourite as well, actually. So, all right. So it has got its audiences there. <laughs> I mean, it is. It is definitely a cult classic. Yeah, I think it's a great choice. I think that mm. all four of us have um, got good choices for the subject. So yeah, I'm happy with that. You didn't. You didn't disappoint. I was waiting for like Lewis to pick like Jungle Book or something. And I thought he's definitely missed the memo here. No, no, I'm, that's not a cult classic. Jungle Book is the best Disney film, but not a cult classic. <laughs> that's another debate, I suppose. But um, exactly. anyway, Tracy, thank you for giving us a bit of input on Any our time? podcast. Cheers, Charles. Um, I think you. you um, right. You performed the good standard. I think we'll probably have, we'll probably have her on again, won't we, at some point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you can always rely on Lewis. Always. <laughs> so next up, we're going to give you um, each uh, just a quick little review of something we've watched recently or that has been recently released, where obviously that's been quite thin lately due to cinemas being closed. Um, I've gone for what was... Well, it came out in the cinema. Um, About a week. Yeah, and then obviously before just before cinemas closed, it was still showing. Uh, I missed it, which I was gutted about. Um, but watched it recently, and I was very excited for it. And so my choice for this one was um, the Invisible Man. And originally, this was going to be um, a project involving Johnny Depp when they were reviving the original from the Universal Monsters series which was made, oh, goodness, I think back in the 1930s, possibly. And um, this time around, um, it had uh, Lee Wenau at the helm, who um, he acted and wrote the first Saw. So he's, I'm guessing he's a good friend of James Wan, who you um, yeah. obviously like, Lewis. Uh, yeah, I do. Yeah, he is a good um, friend of him. And um, he's also directed the, or at least helped out on the Insidious films as well. Yeah. So did, you, did you see in the news recently what he is going to be directing? No, what was that? Um, I'm sure I read in the news that he's now directing the Ryan Gosling um, Wolfman film as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Okay. Not um, to just take over, sorry. I was just nah, I was nah. like, uh, maybe Rich hasn't heard this bit of news. Nah, I like that. Um, yeah. I'd be pretty confident with that because... Um, That's good. For what I... from. The projects Lee Wen has put out so far, he hasn't really disappointed me. So I think that'd be a good choice. Um so yeah, the Invisible Man, they've used that title, they've put a spin on it, and so it's not like the original, but it's you know, it's under that kind of banner, shall we say. Um basically it just starts off with um a woman, uh, Elizabeth Moss is the actress playing her and she's like She's a big part of this film, to be honest, although she's not really the main character. She's not the invisible man himself, but she plays such a big role in it and her acting abilities can uh, not be overlooked in this because you've got to bear in mind, she was acting in a room on her own for the most part. Mm, And then they obviously added bits in, like with CGI and whatnot. So to do that, you've got to be, you know, at the top of your game, really. Um. But at the start, she is a victim of um, domestic abuse and she leaves her husband 
and um, he's allegedly killed himself. Well, obviously you're like, well, he hasn't, has he? Because we know what's coming. But you sort of think, um, is she going a bit crazy? Because all this weird stuff's happening. Of course, no one's believing her. Like, you know, they're like he's dead. Like, you can't be. How can you be doing this stuff that you're saying? And you start to think of yourself almost. You're like, maybe she is just like imagining it. Like, anyway, it's really scary. I thought um, I don't scare easily with horror films, but this one because you can't see the um, the antagonist, you're on the edge a little bit. And um, the music adds to that. Who um, is by a guy called Charlie Clouser, and he also oh, yeah. did the music for. So that makes sense because the music and that's very sinister. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean this. I think this is a really good film. Um, there's some little bits in it that you probably look at and you'd think there's a, that's a plot hole. But you know what? It's enjoyable and it is a film at the end of the day. And it's not like it's based on a true story. I think that's when you start to get a bit more annoyed with the plot holes. When, Like I said, because I was enjoying it so much, I let those bits slide. Um, which, again, when you're not enjoying a film, you just tend to pick holes in those bits a little bit more. But, um, yeah, I don't want to give away too much uh, about it. I mean, if you like your horrors, I don't see why you wouldn't enjoy this one. Um, so I definitely recommend it. Have you guys seen it at all? No, I've not seen it. It's one that I want to watch. Have but... not? Um, all right, I definitely... Well, I hope I didn't undersell it to you, mate. Um, no, no, no. I've seen the trailers and um, you haven't undersold it. No, I, yeah. I am looking forward to watching it at some point. Yeah. Um, Lana? I haven't seen it. Um, is it more of a kind of? I mean, I imagine is it more of a psychological horror then? Because if it's um, because of the plot, it's rather than jump scares. It's. I think this is the thing. It caught. It sort of comes under a lot of different genres of horror, really. And mm. I think that's why I liked it a lot because although they'd, you know, they hadn't used their original idea, they sort of put their spin on it. Mm-hmm. and therefore it was kind of unique in the end you know the end product was a unique film and there are, there are yeah there are jump scares but there's also like psychological part um horror involved as well so mm-hmm. it's um i think it covers a wide range i would say that's my opinion anyway but okay. um yeah if you're even if, even if you're just thinking about it then definitely watch it because I'd like to um, hear your thoughts on that one. Mm. Yeah, no, I'm very much intrigued. Good. And I, I like oh, the yeah. actress as well. She's she's very good. So. Yeah, I think, I mean, she's been around for a while. She was in yeah. Mad Men, obviously. And yeah. um, she was in, she had a small role in Us. Yeah. And um, I'm assuming that's where they might have spotted her and then picked her for this one. But mm. um, yeah, I, I think she's got a bright future. And you find that quite a lot with actresses and uh, actors you, that they they've been around for like a good ten years or so before they get a big break. Yeah. Um. So I hopefully Invisible Man's it for um, Elizabeth Moss because I like to see a lot more of her. I think she was really good. Mm. Um. Lana, what have you picked as your recent review? Okay. Um. So my recent review is not a recent film. Mm-hmm. No, that's but fine because, like I said, there's not really a lot come out, so we'll let you yeah. off. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, but my um, 
film I watched most recently is Akira, mm -hmm. which is a 1988 animated post-apocalyptic cyberpunk film. <laughs> wow. Quite, quite a lot going on there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. And it's... Uh, have any of you guys heard of it? I've heard of it, but I've not seen it. Yeah. So it's quite... Mm. It's one of those films that... Um, it's, it's, it's a must-watch if you're into animated films in general. Um, because it's quite important in terms of its influence. But it's also quite... Um, in its own right, it's it's a very unusual film, and it's worth seeing because I think it not only influenced um, future animated films in both the West and um, in Japan, but also um, it influenced movies as a as a whole. It had a huge production budget, and it came during a period that was known as the golden era of anime, which was surprisingly in the 80s, actually. Oh, really? Um, yeah, you'd think um, it would be mostly actually more recent ones because there's yeah, so I'd have, um, Yeah, I just said sort of noise, really, because they're like spirited away and stuff, but that's interesting. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, you have... There's animated films, and then there's anime, which is... Animated shows, TV series, primarily made in, well, actually, almost always made in Japan. Um, I'm personally, I'm not uh, like a huge anime buff at all. I've seen a few that I like the story of, but I'm not someone who watches all of them just for the sake of it. And uh, not that that's a bad thing um, at all, but. For me, it's more, will I like the story? And if I like the story, I will watch it regardless of what it is or where it, or where it came from. So this film came during this golden era. And what that meant was that, similarly to The Fox and the Hound, actually, uh, you had animators who were um, in the business for a long time and are now have really honed their craft and in the 80s were producing some amazing... Uh, feats of animation and you also had newer artists who were re really willing to try new things and because anime was not this big global thing that everyone had heard of um, they didn't need to pander to any audience in fact they weren't thinking about that at all they just wanted to create and create whatever um, and that's what Akira kind of comes out of. It's this experimentation of what can we do. Uh, my Neighbor Totoro is from Ghibli is actually similar in that sense as well, because even though it's not necessarily um, some post-apocalyptic, super dark thing, um, in terms of plot and what happens in that film, it's quite, it's very unusual. And that's because they were able to, at the time, just experiment and really create the best art they could possibly do. They and really push the boundaries of what can happen in an animated feature. Um, so having said that, the animation in this is absolutely stunning. It is, um, it, like I said, it has 
this film had a huge budget. So they wanted to make it as fluid as possible and to make really complex um, action scenes where there's so much going on at the screen at any one time, it boggles the mind how they are actually able to draw it all because it, it wasn't really done with the CGI or computers or actors. Everything is drawn. And... Um, for a point of reference, most animated films have a frame rate of roughly 24 frames per second, which is roughly 12 drawings per second. Oh, my word. Yeah. This film would have sequences where there are 20 drawings per second. Bloody hell. Yeah. Yeah. So... Um, and they put it not only in really um, intense action scenes where you would expect something like that to be, but went all out for scenes that you wouldn't even notice straight away. Like, for example, there's a scene where the main character is walking with his friends and they're just walking down the street and the camera angle is um, head on. So you see all of their faces and Every single person in that group, and there are about six people or so, is doing something. Yeah, so, and you actually have to animate that. Every single <laughs> yeah. gesture, yeah. every single, like, hair movement, arm movement, eye movement, for six people. And, they, and they've and done it. Uh, also, if you pause at any point in the movie, every single shot is incredibly detailed. The backgrounds are some of the most detailed I've ever seen. Um, It's set in kind of a Neo-Tokyo, so it's a very urban setting. So you can imagine with all these buildings and and infrastructure and signs and pop culture and people, like, and they put all that in one shot. And they they draw it over and over to make sure every single shot has all these details. Um, The music is also unlike anything I've heard in any film. It's a mixture of kind of um, modern, well, at the time, modern kind of pop 80s. Mixed with really traditional Japanese music. Okay. Yeah. Using traditional instruments, yeah. so it, it sounds like nothing you could have ever heard. It, it's a completely, it's very much its own thing. It's really odd. Um, it makes you feel like you are you, you're in a parallel universe, pretty much. It, it's it's very unearthly. Um, awesome. And in terms of why this film is so groundbreaking. And that, that is because it brought anime to the West. Japanese um, animated films, even Ghibli films, um, did not take off in the West at all. And the Western market wasn't sure if they even wanted to import it because they wouldn't, wasn't sure if it would sell. And they did try, like they actually tried with Nausicaa and the Valley of the Wind by Ghibli, but they edited it so heavily and cut out so many characters and so many scenes so much though that even like the poster for Nausicaa 
um, if you were to watch the American version of it, you wouldn't know who half the characters were because they cut them out. Oh, really? Mm. Yeah, it was that heavily you edited. Because they thought there's just no way um, this would be accepted. But with Akira, they, they gave that a shot. And it's something you can't really edit because then you just scrap the whole film. Yeah. And people oh. got their hands on it and every, it, it changed everything. It changed what you could do with an animated feature. It changed who, for whom animated features and films were for. What kind of audience. It changed how everyone would, was to see um, animation from that point on. It's like nothing you would see, you could have seen, even today. And strangely enough, now that the world has changed quite a bit and everyone has heard of animated features, Akira is to an extent somewhat forgotten, but it, is, it was the pioneer at the time. Now I'll round this off by uh, making a slight comparison to Disney. Because this was, uh, I think, bo both The Hawk, Fox and the Hound... Um, and Acura were released in the 80s. So The Fox and the Hound's early 80s, Acura's late 80s. Um, and you have these two very different approaches. Uh, with Disney, it's about coziness, warmth, fun, jokes, and a really good time. Which is great in its own right. But from the East, we have... With Japanese animation, we have this push for um, that anything is possible and that you can cover any theme imaginable. Some of the themes covered in Akira are violence in society, police brutality, criminal gangs, um, the threat and benefits of technology, and of course, you can't leave this out, nuclear weapons. Because Japan, is, its entire history past the nuclear disasters, its pop culture is heavily affected yeah. by World War II. So they don't leave that out. In fact, the first um, scene in the film is a nuclear explosion. Yeah. So I guess I'd leave it uh, on the point of where should we go with animation now? We can animate anything we want. Should we be going into live action? Should we be, or should we be really trying to see what else we can do with our modern technology and what kind of stories we can tell? Well, that's, that's deep. That is a deep but it's, um, it's, it's a good thought. It's, okay. um, yeah, it's one to definitely mull over before the next episode for me. Mm. <laughs> I think we should have a think about it and then we should do a live action thing for next week's episode. A, or a live action related Yeah, I think we should. Topic. We've mentioned a few of them, haven't we, today? Yeah, go for it. We'll, we'll um, have a good think yeah. about that question. Right, Lewis, do you want to hit us with your um, review or your recent review? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So, again, it's a film that was made in the 80s, but first time viewing it. I watched it uh, last week. Uh, and during these times, I've been watching a lot of comedies, you know, just to lighten up the mood, spirits. Yeah. Um, but something I kind of thought I haven't really watched a lot of is Eddie Murphy comedies. Um, 
and I watched Coming to America. Um, I also, it. Uh, yeah, I watched Coming to America, and I did also watch uh, Trading Places. But for me, Coming to America was a lot more funnier, in my opinion. Maybe yeah, I, I agree. Apple Sorry to buy in, yeah, but I agree. I think it's it's the humor's a bit more silly. Have you seen it, Anna? Uh, no, I don't think so. Uh, okay, it's 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 just a kind of Eddie Murphy plays a prince, um, a pampered prince who wants to kind of go to New York uh, before he's uh, getting married, not by his choice. Um, he wants to kind of find the love of his life on his own. So he goes oh, okay. to New York, but he has no idea. You know, it's like a fish out of water tale. He has no, you know, no clue. You know, his culture is different, basically. And it is, that's where all the humour comes from. I think Eddie Murphy plays him brilliantly. I think it's just so silly in places. Um, but I also think that, you know, it has got a good romantic element of it. It's a, it is a really good little date film. Um, if it was in cinemas, I would watch it. Um, I'm sure they're doing a coming, like, to America sequel. Um, which they I'm are, not, Yeah, they are. They are, aren't they? Yeah, and I swear yeah. a trailer for it popped up somewhere, but I've not been able to find it. So I don't know where it is. It's in the, you know, film library somewhere. Um but the film was just really funny and it was kind of, you know, it's towards the end of the 80s. Um, so it's not, your, it's around about the time where Eddie Murphy was becoming, you know, a kind of film star with um, the likes of Beverly Hill Cops. You know, he went through a strange of 80s, 90s kind of comedies um, with him, like in the early 90s, going towards like the Nutty Professor and films like that, where it was maybe... Yeah. Too silly, uh, still good to some people, but maybe a bit too silly. Uh, mm. But this is a perfect balance of humor, heart. You know, I love the fact um, that they got James Earl Jones and Madge Sinclair to play the king and queen, <laughs> the Lion King, um, Mufasa, and oh, oh, I'm being tested here, Sarabi. Yes, and Sarabi. I almost said Shinabi. I was like, it's definitely not Shinabi. <laughs> Um, but they play Mufasa and Swarabi, so they're playing again a king and queen here. Um, it opens up. It's just, it's just such a good round rounded film. Like anyone that's in a bad mood can just eat. It's easy, like easily watch it and just enjoy it. Enjoy the humor, have a laugh. Go, ah, oh, that's really sweet in places. Um, it's also like two hours long, but it doesn't feel like it. And for no, imagine comedy I didn't know that. I've seen it, but it didn't feel like two hours. No, yeah, it's bad. Well, it's an hour and fifty-five minutes long, fifty-seven, something like that. Um, but it doesn't feel like it. And you got film comedies today where, like, you know, they're two hours long, and it sometimes feels like it. And coming to America kind of feels like a perfect character piece for Eddie Murphy. If anyone's seen his stand-up, um, if they've not seen the stand-up, you should go watch his stand-up. I recommend Delirious. You've got G.I. Joe joke and the ice cream sketch, two of the most funniest things ever put to film. Um, but it feels like <laughs> it's, he's just perfectly balanced his stand up and just kind of gone over to this film and just created a character that he would joke about. And yeah, and you've got side characters as well, which are both equally funny. And they both they play like different um, people as well. So again, they got face masks and body suits and things like that. It, it, yeah, I know. Yeah, it worked. It's because of the era, I think, like the 80s and how they did it. It was different. It was just... Um... It comes up now. Mm. I watched it using um, 
a streaming service that came up with a little information thing. And it says this this film might have um um what do you call it? This film might have qualities in this film where, you know, in today's standards it wouldn't be met. Um I just watched it and I just enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Yeah, it's worth um it's worth a watch, Lana. Um it is honestly um quite funny. Yeah, yeah, no, I do like some Eddie, Eddie Murphy stand up. I've seen some of that. So yeah. Yeah, if you really like that, good. I think you would like coming to America because it's one of his earlier films. And like Lewis said, he starts to get more and more kind of um into the goofy films mm-hmm. in the night yeah. in the nineties. Anything eighties fifteen as well, so it's not like, you know, it's not like a kids' fair. It's very it is very adult. It's got um, you know, little Just while you're there. on um just while we're on Eddie Murphy, another good one that he did mm-hmm. in the 80s with uh, Nick Nolte was um, 48 Hours. I've actually got that on my so list it, to watch. Yeah, that's um, I watched that during lockdown, actually, um, for the first time. Yeah. And that's a that's a good watch. And Is it comedy, I, though? Yeah, it's like an action comedy sort of thing. Yeah, there's some re- quite funny bits. Um, yeah, it's not along the lines of coming to America or anything no, like okay. that. But, yeah. Um, yeah, he still adds a lot to it, Eddie Murphy. And to be honest, it shows that he, he's not a bad actor when he um, puts his mind no, to I it. Mean, look at the Beverly Hills Cops films. They're good. Yeah. And, um, he did that one on... I've completely... The name has just gone for me, but there's one on Netflix that he did. That's supposed oh, to be Dolomite. That's it, yeah. Again, it's on my list. Yeah, I need to see that. Um, so, yeah, he is a good actor. He just made a few bad choices. Um, yeah, I'm... I'm looking forward to trying out Akira, Lana, as well. Yeah, um, I'm going to add that to my list. I might, I might purchase that, to be honest, and give it a watch properly. Um, yeah, it's, you definitely sold it to me. Okay. Um, coming to America, yeah, I want to watch that again. I've only seen it once. So, watch it again. Just watch yeah. Everyone needs to watch Coming to America. Yeah. And, um, yeah, like I said, guys, try out Invisible Man, because it, um, yeah, it won't disappoint um, just try and look past some of the sort of like you know the like I said the plot holes. Um, there's not a lot coming out at the moment, obviously due to COVID again, um, which I feel like that's going to be an ongoing trend for quite a while. But the only probably. thing that is listed to come out, um, and I don't know uh, when what platform this will come out on is. There's a film called Unhinged coming out with Russell Crowe, and it's basically oh, yeah. like a road rage movie. And he's a bit of a psycho. And I watched the trailer and it's, it looks like one of those sort of Saturday night ones that you throw on when you don't really want to concentrate too much. Um, so it might be a bit, a bit of fun. Yeah, that's about it really for our coming soon, which is a bit of a shame, but um, that's just how I mean, it is right it now. I did Netflix get the rights for um, the Spon- new SpongeBob film. Oh, God. Yeah, it's coming <laughs> soon. Uh, I, I hate SpongeBob, like, honestly. Well, like, I don't know. It's weird that a I, film, I, a film with the power of a SpongeBob movie, if you know what I mean, um, is coming to streaming service. Just is coming to you know Netflix. So oh my word! My seven-year-old kind of niece, film. my seven-year-old niece loves SpongeBob. That's what I mean. Yeah. She, so if it come out she, in film, she in trolls cinemas, me with it. Like it she knows, really and well. she she knows, and she trolls me with it all the time, and it's like yeah. it's a nightmare. But yeah, um, yeah, I probably won't watch that one to be honest, mate. But another one um, that is coming to Netflix in August is um, Project Power, and it's starring right, yeah. uh, Jamie Fox and Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who I think are both pretty good actors. Um, I watched the trailer 
the other day. I'm not too sure, but bearing in mind there's not a lot else coming out at the moment, I probably will give it a go. Yeah, exactly. I felt the same. Well, it's, there's going to be um, definitely a backlog mm-hmm. whenever uh, cinemas do reopen. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, I've really enjoyed going through the Disney cult classics. We had some really good choices in there. Um, obviously, mine was the best hunchback. Um, <laughs> Oliver's a great choice. Hercules, love it. Fox and the Hound, love it. Um, they're films I could watch over and over and not get bored, to be honest. Um, yeah. So, thanks again for listening, everyone. Yeah, we look forward to episode four, and we will discuss a live action topic yet to be decided. Yeah. Thanks.